Can we just thank God this morning for our wonderful worship team? Will you thank them for me? I'm amazed every single week how they usher us in to the presence of God. So we do thank them. I also want to thank Jody Cresswell and a team of people who put together this lovely backdrop that we have. The stage looks amazing this week, and so we thank them. Yeah, thank them. There are only a few people involved in these things that are on our paid staff. The rest are volunteers, and so we are so, so thankful for just the servant heart that we have in this church. Well, good morning. My name is Kelly Womack. I'm the pastor of leadership development here. And um, I just want to review kind of where Derek went last week to kind of get us on the same page for this week in case you weren't here. We started our Advent series last week. And we're basing our Advent series on a book called The Weight of Waiting by Chris Camilly. And Advent, if you're not familiar with Advent, Advent simply means the coming or the arrival. It also has to do with expectation. And so we're learning in this Advent season just how heavy the waiting season can be, that there is weight in the waiting. It is certainly not easy. So today we're going um, to talk about something a, a tad bit different but um, similar. And I just want to start us off by asking just a very basic question for everybody. How many people here like to wait? One? Anyone? 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 Okay. That's what I thought. No one likes to wait, and yet all of us have to wait at some time or another. We either wait in traffic, at the doctor's office, in, in stores, in lines... We wait on our loved ones to come to the car so we can go places. We wait. Sometimes it's even more difficult than those things I just expressed. Sometimes we're in a season of waiting. We're in a season of of waiting to hear from God. Or we're waiting on test results to come back. Or we're waiting for a breakthrough in our finances or a new job. Or waiting for our marriage to be healed. Or a loved one to be healed of sickness. We do a lot of waiting. So I think we do understand somewhat of what Chris Camilly talks about in her book, The Weight of Waiting. Because we often want things to happen now. We want to be fixed now. We want to change now. But we're going to learn, I hope we learn today through the scriptures that I bring that waiting can actually be a gift. I know that doesn't sound right, because we all hate it, but I hope this causes you to think a little bit about that, that waiting may actually be a gift. We're going to be using um, unusual scriptures to talk about Advent this year. We purposefully did that, so we're not going to be in Luke 2 every time, and today is no different um, today I'm going to be bringing scripture from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15a. Before we go there, I just want to give you a little bit of context about this scripture. Uh, Peter, obviously, is the one that scholars think wrote this text, and, and I believe that to be true as well. And, of course, Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He actually walked with Jesus, and so he was an eyewitness of Jesus, 
He was also the one that Jesus said, Peter, on, on this rock I'll build my church. And so he was the first one, really the first pastor, if you will, to Jewish Christians that became Christians after Jesus was um, here and was raised, um, ascended into heaven. So he is addressing these Jewish Christians. It might have been a church that he led. It may have been several churches that he wrote this letter to. But he's talking to them for a couple of different reasons. He wrote First Peter, the first letter. Scholars think because of persecution that was happening outside of the church towards Christians. And if you've studied your Bible and studied Paul a lot, you'll know he talks a lot about persecution as early Christians endured. And so this is no different. So Peter talked to them in First Peter about that. In Second Peter, he's actually addressing... Um, false teachers who had come into the church. So I want you to think about the situation. There are this, these Jewish Christians who are fairly new Christians. They are striving to live the life that they think that Jesus called them to live while he walked on the earth. And yet these false teachers come in and they start saying, you know what? Do you really believe all that Jesus said? Do you really believe that he is who he said he was. Do you really believe that he'll come again? Because Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, I will come again. Now, for the Christians of that day, they didn't know if that would be the next day or two weeks from then, months, years, or as we know it to be, thousands of years waiting for his return. They really felt like his return was imminent. And so these these. False teachers are coming in, and if you read a little bit back into the chapter of 3, the very first few verses talk about, he actually names them scoffers. He says these scoffers are coming in, and they're, they're basically taunting you, and they're making you doubt because they're telling you that Jesus will not come again because he hasn't come already. So this is where we are right now. We pick up in verse 8. I'm going to read 8 through 15. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are thankful for your word. 
your word that in this instance, Peter, by your authority and inspiration, wrote to these Jewish Christians, reminding them of your faithfulness. But Lord, we know your word to be living and active. And we know that it is for us. And so, Lord, I pray that in these next few minutes as we study your word, that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would transform our lives, that it would be relevant to us today. Lord, may your Holy Spirit come. May you work among us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we have to remember that not only were these Jewish Christians looking at the situation and wondering what's really going on here, but they also were looking back at the fact that when the prophecies were told in the Old Testament, those group, that, those group of Israelites waited 400 plus years for that prophecy to be fulfilled. So they know that God sometimes lingers. But it's hard, and it's hard for us. It was hard for them not really knowing what God's timing is. And so the first thing I want us to do today as we look at this scripture is to look at the fact that timing, really, this waiting is really up to him. And I want to introduce to you two words today. Maybe you know some of them, or you're going to see there's... There's some correlation with our English language as well. These are two Greek words, and I'm sharing this with you because I think it really helps us see what is in God's word and really bring it to life for us. So I want to introduce you to two words. The first one is chronos. Gives us our word chronological. It's measurable time. It's our time, if you will. This is how we keep our watches This is the calendar that we keep. This is the measurable time by which we keep dates, moments, hours. It is the version of the time that we prefer. It's more predictable, more controllable. It's our timing. But I want to suggest to you that when Peter talks to the church and he talks about that to the Lord a day is a thousand years and a thousand years like a day, he's talking about Kairos time, another Greek word, and it means God's timing. Though it seems uncertain for us, it has true certainty for him. His timing, Kairos, is a definite appointed time. It just happens to not be known by us. You see, Kairos, God in his love, discerns and decides the perfect timing for things to happen. This is not an irrational timing or decision. It's thought through. It's not reactive. It's not hurried. It's not in haste. It is a definite, appointed opportunity or time just not known by us. See, we live in a chronos world. But as Christians, we ultimately live by kairos. We live by God's timing. You know, I'm reminded that 
And I'm sure you've been in this situation too, that we've been in a, maybe a season of waiting and you talk to someone and, and in the heart of love and goodness, they say to you, well, God's timing is perfect. And in that moment of waiting, you just want to kind of yell back, please be quiet. Don't say that. God's timing is perfect. It's not something we always want to hear because we are living in the chronos. We are living in that chronological time. We want things to be predictable. We want things to be controllable. And yet God's timing is none of that. But it is perfect. And it is appointed. And it's out of love, discernment, that he makes the decisions on when is the perfect timing for things to happen. This gives us great hope in so many ways. In our situations of waiting, it gives us hope. In our waiting for the return of Christ, it gives us hope. Because we know that God's timing is perfect. So it's up to him. This gift of waiting, the timing is up to him. You know, Peter is really strong in these words, but do not forget this one thing. I mean, he says this one thing is really important. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. You know, it makes me think of the verse in Isaiah 55, and I think I have it on the screen here. The reason we struggle with this so much God's timing versus our own timing is that Isaiah clearly says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It's up to him. It's in his timing. The second thing I see in these scriptures in Second Peter is that it's for us. Not only is it up to him, but it is for us. We see this in verses 9 and in verse 15, where Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in verse 15, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. You know, oftentimes when we're in those seasons of waiting, we think, what is God doing or what is he not doing? Has he abandoned me? Does he hear me? Is he anywhere around? And yet these these scriptures that Peter reminds these early Christians about are so pertinent to us as well because he reminds them that God is not slow in keeping his promise. He's so patient See, the reason that their delay in his return, our delay in his return, is really for us. Because he's patient. He doesn't want anyone to to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Because the Lord's patience means salvation. Now, I think about, you know, we don't often attribute the word slow to God, although sometimes in our frustration we may. But the Bible only uses the word slow attributed to God in one other way. 
And that is usually in the Old Testament when he talks about the Lord being slow to anger. Here I've, I've put it, Psalms 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That phrase right there, slow to anger, is a Hebrew expression, and I do not know how to speak Hebrew, but I'm going to try it, okay? It's the arek apayim, and it literally means, wait for it, length of nose or longness of nose. And you're thinking, what in the world? Stay with me. All right. I want you to think about when you are becoming angry or frustrated what is it that you tell yourself to do or others tell you to do in that moment take a deep breath right okay so we're going to practice this for just a minute okay i want you to take a deep breath in your nose and out your nose you ready let's do it all right Did you feel your nose, your nostrils flare? You should have. Okay? That's what happens when we breathe in deep through our nose and out. And you're thinking, where is this going? I want to suggest to you that the Hebrew language really likes concrete, figurative language. So that when the Israelites and others were reading it, they could say, oh, that's exactly what that means. This literally means long nose. And the reason why is because it's showing us that God's nose is so long because he has to continue to take deep breaths in and out, waiting patiently for us. Do you get it? That's really not a stretch. It is straight from the word. Maybe you've never heard it before, but I I bring you those things not to It's not about showing you what I know or anything like that. It's about helping you remember things. Because when I learned this, I never forgot it. I learned it several years ago, and I thought, wow, I'll never forget when I read the scripture of God being slow to anger, that he is taking in deep breaths and breathing out because he is so incredibly patient for me and for you and for the rest of this world. He's waiting for us to come to repentance. He's waiting because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He's waiting because he loves us so much. He's waiting because he's at work. I want to challenge you that it's in those moments of waiting, those seasons of waiting that we have, that we get frustrated at times. I want to challenge you not to allow the enemy to tell you the lie that God is not at work. Do not let the enemy tell you the lie that God is not good. He is good. He is patient, and he is at work in our waiting. He has not forsaken us. That last song we just sang, you have not forsaken me. He has not forsaken us in our waiting. He is with us. You know, when I think about 
God and his timing, and I think about him doing it for us, it's because of us. It's for us because he's being patient. It reminds me of a story in the New Testament in John 11. The story of Lazarus. The story of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, who were dear friends of Jesus. These were people in his inner circle. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story, and then we're going to pick up with the slides that I have so you can see the scripture. But the story is about Lazarus, who was one of Jesus' best friends, getting very, very sick. And Martha does what any of us would do. She goes to Jesus, and she says, you have to come now. You have to come now because he's so sick that we think he actually might die. You have to come now. But Jesus didn't. And he didn't. And he didn't come. And Lazarus died. Now think about this. These are his best friends. These were people who loved him and counted on him. And it did not seem like Jesus even heard what she was saying. He didn't hear the severity of the situation. He didn't hear how much he was needed. After Lazarus dies and is in the grave for four days, Jesus comes back to the scene. And he goes to the grave where Lazarus has been laid. And there are lots of Jews around. And we pick up in verse 38, John 11. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. I don't even know that she had to tell him that. but For he has been here four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. And listen to this last verse. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Now, I'd like to suggest that if Jesus had come when he was sick, there might have not been that many people around. But when Lazarus died... There was a big funeral. There were a lot of people there to be with Mary and Martha in mourning. See, for them and for us, that doesn't sound like really good timing, Jesus. But Jesus knew it would be the perfect time for him to enter the scene. He didn't want to just heal a man from sickness. He wanted to raise the man from death. He had a bigger plan, so much bigger than Martha and Mary could have ever thought of. 
Never in a million years would Martha have gone to Jesus and said, hey, it's, I really want you to come now, but if you decide to let him die and stay in the grave for four days, then you can raise him. That was not what she said. And that's not what we say either. When we're in our situation, in our seasons of waiting, we really want God to show up now. And there's nothing wrong with crying out to him to show up now. There's nothing wrong with, with what Martha did. We need to cry out, please, Lord, come now. But he may not choose to do so. And we have to trust that his Kairos perfect timing is for our good. We have to trust that it is for us. It is for us. The last thing I want to show you from the scripture is what we are to do in the meantime as we wait on God, as we wait for the second coming. In verse 11 through 14, it says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, in fire, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. See, I think Peter was reminding them of the transitory nature of material things. In other words, stuff don't matter. It just doesn't matter. The things that, that the Jewish Christians evidently were really paying attention to are the same things that we pay attention to, and they don't matter. The material things will be burned up in fire. They don't matter. What are our priorities? Are they around those material things that don't matter? Or are they on eternal value things that will matter? Are they on making sure that we talked to our people in our family or those coworkers about the love of Christ because they don't know him? Or are we more concerned about the things that don't matter? Peter was reminding them, those things are going to be destroyed. So you ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Now that sounds like big and holy stuff. To live holy and godly lives and to be found spotless and blameless. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, uh, I don't think I can do that. And we can't. But Peter reminds them, make every effort Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Walk with Jesus. Study his word. Pray. Have relationship with the king of kings. And you will make every effort to live a spotless and blameless and at peace life with him. It isn't easy, but that's what he's called us to. And then the other thing that we're supposed to do in the meantime, is to look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. Because there are days 
If I ever turn on the TV and watch news, or I ever look at printed material about our world, I think, this is ridiculous. It just gets worse and worse, or so it seems. So we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We are looking forward to Jesus' return. He has come. Christmas tells us that. He has come. And guess what? He's here. Because when Jesus ascended to the throne of God, he said, I will leave with you my Holy Spirit. He is here. Emmanuel says, God with us. So not only did he come, he's here. And he is coming again. He is coming again. Christmas reminds us of the incredible faithfulness of God to his promises. He fulfilled his promise to send a Savior to the earth. We have Crave every week at Thursdays at noon. We'd love for you to join us. Our staff stops what we're doing. We go into the prayer room, and the teaching pastor that week gives the scripture. We go away for about 30 or 40 minutes and come back and just kind of share what the Lord has spoken to us through the scripture. And it's always so rich. And this week was no different. And we studied this group of scriptures. And honestly, I thought that many would come back and go, oh, this is Christmas? We're studying about the destruction of the world and fire and all that? Yes. But you know what? They came back, and it was obvious that the Lord had given them words. Because one person came back and it said, you know, it just reminded me of the things that really don't, remain, don't matter. Another person came back and said, you know what? I'm thankful he hasn't returned yet. Not because I don't want him to, but because I haven't done all the things he's asked me to do. I haven't been living the godly life he's called me to. Then this one really stuck with me. We had a teenager with us. I'll mention his name this service. I didn't the first. His name is Brad Peters, and he was with us. And you know what he said? He said, every day I ask myself, am I ready? Am I ready for Jesus to come again? I'm looking at a teenager and going, what? And I think to myself, do I say that every day? Do I ask myself, am I ready for the return of Christ? Do you ask yourself, are you ready for the return of Christ? Because if you believe that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do, and you believe that God's word is true, he is coming again. He is coming again. It could be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be another 2,000 years. But we don't know that. But his timing is perfect. That's what we do know. And we know it's for us. If he delays in his return, it's for us. It's for the people that don't know him. It's for the people that do to attempt to live godly and holy lives and to get out there and tell people about Jesus. That's why he's delaying. Not just, he's not slow, he's patient out of love for us. I want to end today with a quote from Louis Giglio that I think really sums this up. He also writes a devotional for Advent. And I found this on one of the days, and I thought it was real pertinent to the message today. I'm going to ask the worship team, or Dwayne. <laughs> to go ahead and start, start playing. And if you are um, 
you're one of our prayer warriors to stand at the front, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come too. This quote says this, God is not slow, he is merciful. He has come in the person of Christ, extending his open arms to all. Every day in which he waits to blast the final trumpet is a day of extended grace. Let me say that again. Every day in which he waits to blast the final trumpet is a day of extended grace. It is a day for more people to hear of his love. It is a day for others to trust in his promise. It is a day for more people to forsake evil ways. It is another day for you to put your hope in Jesus Christ. There may be some of you today that you're not sure if he came back today what would happen you're not sure because you're not sure that you have relationship with him and I just want to say that today is the day of salvation today if you have been in the service God has spoken his word has been brought forth today he's calling you don't turn him away today is a day that you can come to know Jesus as your Savior. There are others of you that are struggling with waiting in various circumstances. And I just want to tell you the altars are open. People are here ready to pray with you, ready to remind you of God's faithfulness. And I want to leave you with these reflection questions. Do you trust the timing of God? Do you trust that while you're waiting, He is always always, always working for your good? Do you understand that he delays out of love and patience for us? And how will you choose to live your life if you really believe that he's coming again? Will you stand, please? I encourage you to listen to the Lord and respond however he calls.